welcome to The Lionel Shelton Show. It's great to have your company. Wherever you're watching this video on YouTube or if you're listening to it as a podcast, I wanna say thanks for taking time out of your day to be with me as we discuss some of the issues that just don't get the airtime and analysis in the mainstream media, the analysis that they deserve. This week we're going to talk about the US vice presidential debate which occurred last week. I'm going to talk also about the Queensland election and what's at stake as the polls open next week here in the Sunshine State. And I want to end the show with a bit of analysis around Gladys Berejiklian, the New South Wales Premier who's been the subject of bombshell revelations in ICAC, the Independent Commission Against Corruption, uh, down there in Sydney this week. So please sit back, strap yourself in, it's going to be a bumper show. Well, last week's vice presidential debate between uh, US uh, Vice President Mike Pence and uh, Joe Biden's running mate Kamala Harris was a masterclass from both in disagreeing agreeably. It was civil, which was not the case when Donald Trump and Joe Biden faced off in the first presidential debate just a few weeks ago. Pence and Harris even sparred on the issue of human rights for the unborn. And I'd like to focus on this aspect of the debate because it is rarely debated in mainstream politics here in Australia. I hope that, uh, that this will change uh, because the voiceless need a voice and they need them from our nation's leaders. The issue of human rights for the unborn, or abortion as it is euphemistically called, continues to rightly be a hot-button issue in US politics. Their pro-life movement is much more active and effective than here in Australia, so the issue always remains a topic of debate, albeit, as I said, hotly contested. At issue is the US Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade, made way back in 1973, where the court imposed, and this is an important point, it imposed abortion as the law of the land on all 50 US states. The vacancy on the bench of the US Supreme Court created by the death of our pro-abortion justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, has opened the way for a pro-life majority on the bench for the first time, and I should say the possibility of a pro-life majority on the bench for the first time in a generation with the likely appointment of President Trump's latest pick, Amy Coney Barrett. Now, this woman is a superstar. Uh, this has the Democrats and the left of politics in the US in an absolute rage. If the US Supreme Court were, went on to overturn Roe versus Wade, policy on abortion would again be put back to the US states uh, on an individual basis. Sounds democratic, but the left hates democracy when democracy doesn't deliver what they want. Some of the 50 states, like California and New York, would probably allow the killing of unborn babies in their mother's wombs to continue, uh, along with the harming of women that goes with abortion. Other states, like Georgia and Ohio, would most likely keep their laws banning abortion from when the babies. Uh, heart starts to beat, which is at around five to six weeks of the pregnancy. Now, it is still wrong to kill an unborn baby and wound his or her mother prior to five or six weeks of pregnancy, but you can see how far ahead of Australia some US states are when it comes to human rights for the unborn and support for mothers. Most abortions occur before 13 weeks of pregnancy, with around 7% occurring after 14 weeks. Now, abortion is the violent extinguishing of millions of beating hearts each year. Late-term abortions are rare by comparison, but they do occur. All this is important background to keep in mind when you listen to this next question 
uh, put to Kamala Harris during the debate between Mike Pence and herself just last week in the US. Take a listen. Senator Harris, you're the senator from and former attorney general of California. So let me ask you a parallel question to the one I posed to the vice president. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, what would you want California to do? Would you want your home state to enact no restrictions on access to abortion? The issues before us couldn't be more serious. There's the issue of choice, and I will always fight for a woman's right to make a decision about her own body. It should be her decision and not that of Donald Trump and, and the vice president, Michael Pence. Notice how Harris didn't answer the question uh, as to whether or not she thinks her home state of California should allow unrestricted abortion. Uh, that is, abortion with no limits all the way to birth. That was the essence of that question that you just heard her being asked. Now, she dodged it. Uh, for a pro-abortion person to agree that late-term abortion is a bridge too far is to see the whole house of cards that is abortion come crashing down. It is to admit that some life in the womb should be protected while allowing some babies to be killed. They can't tell you where the line should be drawn, and that's why they insist that the law must allow babies to be killed all the way to birth. They don't like the fact that many states draw the line when the unborn baby's heart starts to beat, uh, because that is too early for abortion extremists like Harris. What Harris did when she finally came back to the question after a minute of ducking and weaving was to assert that women should be allowed to do what they like with their own bodies and that men like Trump and Pence should butt out. No one disagrees with that. But what human rights does the separate body growing within the mother, what rights does that separate body, the being of that separate body have? We've all seen these children on ultrasound. We know they are real. We know that they have their own body. And how better can society support women with unsupported pregnancies when men who got them pregnant walk away from their partner or coerce them to have their children killed? These are the inconvenient questions that people like Harris choose to dodge. Let's take a listen now to how Mike Pence responded to the idea that men should have no say in the debate about supporting women and the human rights for the separate unborn baby in a mother's womb. Take a listen. I, I couldn't be more proud to serve as vice president to a president who stands without apology for the sanctity of human life. I'm pro-life. I, I don't apologize for it. And this is another one of those cases where there's such a dramatic contrast. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris support taxpayer funding of abortion all the way up to the moment of birth, mm -hmm. late-term abortion. They want to increase funding to Planned Parenthood of America. Now, for our part, I, I would never presume how Judge Amy Coney Barrett would rule on the Supreme Court of the United States, but um, we'll continue to stand strong for the right to life. Now, not since 1973 have the stakes for human rights for the unborn and proper support for their mothers been higher. Pence said he could not presume to know how Amy Coney Barrett might vote once, the Supreme, once on the Supreme Court, provided she's confirmed over these next few days. However, it is pretty clear that as a practicing Catholic and pro-life activist, she will most certainly rule to uphold the human rights for the unborn, although she's not prejudging that and she's not opining on 
previous precedents that have been set by the court. Uh, this is in her hearings that are going on uh, as we speak. This is one of the main reasons the political left in America and Australia hate Donald Trump and Mike Pence with a passion. Let's circle back now to the issue of faith, another reason why they hate these men. Joe Biden makes much of his Catholic faith. He claims that if elected, he will be only the second Catholic elected US president since John F. Kennedy in the 1960s was in the White House. Here's what Kamala Harris had to say about her supposed faith and the faith of Joe Biden. First of all, Joe Biden and I are both people of faith, and it's insulting to suggest that we would knock anyone for their faith. And in fact, Joe, if elected, will be only the second uh, practicing Catholic uh, as president of the United States. Now, no serious Christian and no serious Catholic believes that one can claim to be a practicing Christian or a practicing Catholic while at the same time supporting abortion. So enraged is the political left in America at the thought of a serious and pro-life Catholic being appointed to the US Supreme Court in Amy Coney Barrett that there is now talk of Biden packing the court. This means a Biden presidency changing the rules of the Supreme Court to increase the number of judges from nine to whatever number he needs to ensure a pro-abortion majority. Sounds dodgy. During the debate, Mike Pence sought to find out the answer to this crucial question from Kamala Harris. Let's listen in. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases. But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years, if you don't get your way. This is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Well, I'd like you to answer the question. No, Mr. Yes, Vice she, President, I'm please, speaking. Please, I'm speaking. Okay. In 1864, one of the, I think, political heroes, certainly of the president, I, I assume of you also, Mr. Vice President, is Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election. And it was 27 days before the election. And a seat became open on the United States Supreme Court. Abraham Lincoln's party was in charge not only of the White House, but the Senate. But Honest Abe said, it's not the right thing to do. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. And so Joe and I are very clear. The American people are voting right now. And it should be their decision about who will serve on this most important body for a lifetime. Thank you, and, and Senator the Harris. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. 
Let's talk about Maggie. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. The American people deserve a straight answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court if they somehow win this election. The, Men and women, I, I, I got to tell you, people across this country, if you cherish our Supreme Court, if you cherish the separation of powers, you need to reject the Biden-Harris ticket. Come November the 3rd, re-elect President Donald Trump, and we'll stand by that separation powers in a nine-seat Supreme Court. Now, in case you're wondering if Harris had a point about honest Abe Lincoln, this has been fact-checked by no less than the Washington Post newspaper, no friend of Mike Pence and no friend of the pro-life movement. Here's what the Washington Post had to say. Their headline said this, Kamala Harris's little history lesson about Lincoln's Supreme Court vacancy wasn't exactly true. Uh, the story went on to say, Harris is correct that a seat became available 27 days before the elections, as in 1864, and that Lincoln didn't nominate anyone until after he had won. But there is no evidence he thought the seat should be filled by the winner of the election. In fact, he had other motives for the delay. On October 12, 1864, Chief Justice Roger B. Taney died at the age of 87. He had been Chief Justice for nearly 30 years, but will always be best known, or rather notorious, for writing the majority opinion in the Dred Scott versus Stanford case, in which he declared that black people were inferior and had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. That was a terrible decision by the US Supreme Court. Now, the Washington Post went on to say Taney had been sick for years, so it didn't come as a surprise to Lincoln that he might have had the opportunity to name his own Chief Justice. Um, the story goes on to say that Lincoln was preoccupied with his campaign uh, and the Civil War. Uh, Sherman's troops had just captured Atlanta and would soon march to the sea. Uh, Lincoln told his aides, aides he wouldn't nominate anyone immediately because he was waiting to receive expressions of public opinion from the country. So there you have it. That was a clever piece of blowing smoke in the faces uh, of us all by Kamala Harris. There, there is no comparison. Uh, it's quite appropriate that uh, a Trump presidency uh, which, and, and the majority uh, Republicans in the Senate um, proceed with the confirmation of, only, uh, of Amy Coney Barrett. Anyway, we're still none the wiser as to whether or not the Democrats will pack the court so the killing of unborn babies and the harming of their mothers can continue on an industrial scale. Now, I've laboured this issue because when was the last time you saw Australian politicians debating the human rights of the unborn? It just doesn't happen here. There are many Australian politicians who believe what Trump and Pence do about the human rights of the unborn, but few will talk about it so forthrightly on the national stage. That's why this debate matters. Um, the fact that it's discussed like this so openly uh, in the mainstream in America is really important and we have to get to the stage here in Australia where we can have this debate out in the open. Uh, it's a shame that we don't because the voiceless should be able to depend on the strong speaking up for them. Meanwhile, the US Senate uh, began confirmation hearings this week on uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett's appointment uh, she copped a grilling for her pro-life views from Democrats who are paranoid that the killing of unborn babies is under threat. It's really sad, but this is what they think matters uh, the most, almost it's their top priority. She also copped a lecture on her views on same-sex marriage, but she responded with grace. She's a class act. Take a listen. In the 2013 letter that you signed, uh, there is the following statement. We renew our call 
for the unborn to be protected in law. It's really no more than the expression of a pro-life view. Do you agree with Justice Scalia's view that Roe was wrongly decided? I'm going to invoke Justice Kagan's description. She said that she was not going to grade precedent or give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. In 2006, you signed your name to an advertisement. It described Roe v. Wade as, quote, an exercise of raw judicial power and called for putting, quote, an end to the barbaric legacy of Roe v. Wade. You signed a similar ad in 2013. I would suggest that we not pretend that we don't know how this nominee views a woman's right to choose. Now, Senator Harris just called you a liar, that you've already made up your mind on how you're going to vote on some cases. Are you a liar? I am not a liar, Senator Kennedy. You use the term sexual preference to describe those in the LGBTQ community. Sexual preference is an offensive and outdated term. I would like to just make a quick follow-on to some of Senator Hirono's comments. I certainly didn't mean and, you know, would never mean to use a term that would cause any offense in the LGBTQ community. Saying that I couldn't opine on whether Obergefell was rightly decided or not, I was certainly not indicating disagreement with it. The point of not answering was to simply say it's inappropriate for me to say a response. Her last answer related to the 2015 decision by the US Supreme Court to impose same-sex marriage on all 50 states in, the, in what's known as the Obergefell decision. This was the decision that legalized same-sex marriage in America. It was despite the fact that many U.S. states had voted to keep marriage between one man and one woman. This is how undemocratic the U.S. Supreme Court has become under activist judges. Amy Coney Barrett uh, is rightly not opining on her previous, on, on sorry, on the previous decision of the court, um, much to the frustration of the political left. She is what is called an originalist, and you can be sure that she will interpret the US Constitution as it is written, not how the left think it should be. That's how we got Roe versus Wade. That's how we got Obergefell. She is not an activist judge, and uh, that is what the left fear. That is why they are terrified of her. Well, you're with The Lyle Shelton Show. Don't go away. There'll be more right after this. Well, welcome back. Voting for the Queensland election starts next week. In recent years, growing numbers of people have taken advantage of pre-poll, that is, polling booths open two weeks, and in some cases, three weeks before the election, so that they can vote early. Pre-poll was originally devised to assist people who were likely to be away on election day. However, it has now become a way of avoiding the crowds uh, or of keeping the day f uh, free for other pursuits. Now, in this COVID environment, it is, is expected that more than half of voters will vote before Election Day on Saturday, October 31. Another history-making aspect of this election is that the winner will be given a four-year term in government for the first time. Most other states have had four-year terms for decades, but now it's Queensland's term. Anastasia Palaszczuk's government has held power since Campbell Newman lost in a landslide. Few would argue that the Palaszczuk government has been a good one. It has been anti-mining, stalling big coal projects in the Galilee Basin, notably Adani, and the New Hope uh, expansion at Ackland on the Darling Downs. This has cost the state billions in lost revenue and has caused massive job, uh, the loss of massive job opportunities for people who just want to get ahead. Only the most extreme climate alarmists in inner city Brisbane advocate an end to Queensland's coal industry, 
but they can never tell us where the money will come from to pay for their inner city lifestyles if Queensland kills the goose that is currently laying the golden egg for this state. Before COVID, Queensland had the highest unemployment rate in the country, record bankruptcies and record debt, which now stands at $100 billion. There is no hope of this being paid back anytime soon and our children and our children's children will bear the burden. In fact, the Palaszczuk government is going into this election without having produced a budget for 2020-2021. How can you even begin to have a plan if you don't have a budget? Uh, it's unbelievable that they are getting away with this. It's a stereotype, but it's proven true in Australian political history time and time again. Labor can't manage money. And Queensland, once the nation's economic powerhouse, has been brought to its knees after six years of Labor. They've been in power for most of, uh, for about 25 for the last 30 years. Uh, they've been a disaster for this state. On social policy, Labor has legalised abortion all the way to birth. Many people don't believe that. They think that we're telling porkies when we say this, but it's there in black and white in the legislation that was passed in October 2018 uh, by former uh, Deputy Premier Jackie Trad, who bullied her colleagues as she shepherded this legislation through the parliament. Labor has also introduced compulsory gender fluid ideology, indoctrination uh, of children in all Queensland state schools. Children are told they could have been born in the wrong body. This madness has caused an epidemic of children turning up at clinics like the one in South Brisbane, seeking to transition first socially, then with harmful puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and ultimately for some irreversible surgery. It's a terrible, dangerous path to put children on, and it's unnecessary. It never used to be the case. We used to watch and wait. Uh, that's now seen as gay conversion therapy, and, you can, and doctors can be criminalized for, uh, for taking that clinical approach. Uh, it's unbelievable where this government has taken us in terms of social policy. The mainstream media don't report the facts, but simply champion these developments as progressive. Queensland's march to uh, the economically and socially suicidal crazy left uh, is what's at stake uh, over the next four years. Sadly, most people don't know this and sadly, not enough leaders are speaking up and giving guidance. The LNP under Deb Frecklington will get the economy going again. Uh, the LNP will get rid of the transgender teaching in schools. That's uh, a pledge that Frecklington has made. And they will also review uh, Labor's extreme abortion laws. As the polls open next week, there is only one choice for our children's future. Well, you're with The Lyle Shelton Show. Thanks for your company. I've been saddened and shocked by the revelations coming out of the New South Wales Independent Commission against corruption this week. I'm referring, of course, to the fact that Premier Gladys Berejiklian began a secret relationship with a married parliamentary colleague, Daryl Maguire. Now, the irony of this is that she sacked Maguire for corruption and forced his resignation from the parliament only to continue the relationship for several more years. Uh, again, all in secret. Uh, we didn't know about this until just a couple of days ago. Maguire has admitted in the ICAC hearings to monetising his access to access as an MP to other key decision makers in government as a way of helping developers. He was getting uh, cash uh, commissions for this sort of work uh, as an MP. Um, terrible conflict of interest. Tapes were played of him and Berejiklian talking about his deals. 
what we've heard in these bombshell recordings uh, is unethical and it will be up to ICAC to decide if it was illegal. It certainly doesn't look good. Berejiklian is toughing it out, saying that she stuffed up in her personal life uh, by engaging in a relationship with a man she now claims to know is dodgy. Uh, she only ended the relationship just a couple of months ago as ICAC began its investigations and called her to a private hearing, uh, again, which we didn't know about until just this week. She claims to have done nothing wrong as the holder of the highest office in the state of New South Wales. She wants us to believe she is the victim of a bad boyfriend who betrayed her and that this could happen to anyone. But sadly, this is a failure of the test of character. In all the you-go-girl Gladys support coming her way, there is no mention of the wife that Daryl Maguire uh, had and who later divorced him. This is a sad, sordid, and until recently, a secret tale. Wedding vows should matter. Respect for other people's wedding vows should also matter. Integrity and transparency should matter in the exercise of public office. We are a society which has sadly lost its moral compass when it comes to marriage and the discharge of public duty from the top down. Call me old fashioned, but I believe that a recovery of virtue in private will lead to more virtue in public. You can't tell me that cheating in one area of life doesn't make one more susceptible to moral compromises in other areas of life. None of us are perfect, we're all flawed, but that doesn't mean we should not collectively seek to uphold high standards and make a virtue of striving after them. To give up, as our society seems to have done, is a recipe for disaster. I can't see how the Premier can or should survive this crisis. The people of New South Wales certainly deserve better. Well, thanks for joining The Lyle Shelton Show again this week. Just a quick update on my book. I kid you not, notes from 20 years in the trenches of the culture wars. It's now so sold 2,200 copies or more than that. It's available in uh, Kurong Books, the leading Christian bookseller in this country. And uh, the feedback I've been getting uh, has just continued to blow me away. It's made people angry uh, at the evil that is in our politics and at the same time it's inspired them to want to do something about it. Now there is a time for anger, righteous anger, uh, and there's a time for action and this is such a time and that starts with being educated about what is going on in our politics. I lift the lid on what I've seen over 20 years as a lobbyist, as someone involved in local government, as someone who has known a lot of politicians and seen the inner workings of some of the biggest social policy debates that have gone on in this country. I'd encourage you to get a copy of my book, I kid you not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture Wars. It's available from my website, lyleshelton.com.au. $35 includes postage and handling to your door. Well, thanks so much for joining me once again for The Lyle Shelton Show. Until next week, keep praying for our nation. God bless you. The Lyle Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lyle Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. Good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.